This episode of NOLA Famous was mixed and mastered by Soul Sonics. That's S-O-U-L-S-O-N-I-X. If you're looking to get the highest quality recording, check out Soul Sonics now. Tell them we sent you and get 20% off your first session. Live from Landing Zone Studios, this is Nola Famous. I'm your host, Tatum Gardner. And I guess if I had to name this episode today, it would be a little touch of like a Hollywood South because I feel like we have some amazing, talented film people in here today. I'd like to introduce Michael Murphy. He is the writer and director of Up From The Streets. It's debuting at the film festival October 19th at the Orpheum Theater. Welcome. Thank thank you. you so much for being here. We also have... Celista Everly, she is the producer of the film. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for being here. And we have Fallon Young, who is the executive director of the New Orleans Film Society. Thanks for having me. No, thank you all for being here. So you all contacted me separately and said, hey, I think that this would be a great episode. And I was like, it sounds like y'all need to come in together because you have the film and you're uh, the director of the film society. So you guys have never actually met in person, but just through email. Right. Right. First time. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, so welcome, everybody. Thank you for being here. So, Fallon, let's start with you. Tell us a little bit. This is the 30th annual film festival, right? Yes, it is. It's our big 30th anniversary, and the festival has grown by leaps and bounds over the past few years. So, the festival is now featuring about 240 films over eight days. We look at around 6,500 submissions each year to craft the lineup for the festival. And something special about our festival is that 90% of the lineup comes from submissions from filmmakers. And the reason this is important is because some film festivals accept submission fees from filmmakers and aren't transparent about the number of films they program from their submissions process, Uh i.e. they go out to other festivals, see what's playing well on the festival circuit, and program those films while still accepting submissions revenues from filmmakers. So when submissions grew for us, uh, when we became Oscar qualifying in three shorts categories, the organization started to point itself really back at independent filmmakers and their professional development. And so you'll find that the New Orleans Film Festival has a lot of hospitality, a lot of networking opportunity, a lot of professional development programs that are geared back at filmmakers whose revenues from submissions really helped drive the festival. Right, okay. Tell us a little bit about the submissions process. So you said 6,500 people are narrowed down to how many? Narrowed down to about 240 selections. Wow, well, I think that's a testament then to um, how amazing your movie is, Michael, right? Well, I mean, it's an honor to be accepted, and it's great. And, uh, you know, I had my fingers crossed. I mean, up until I really knew you know, I had these anxiety issues because this film took us five years to, to make. Okay. And it was, you know, basically our tribute to New Orleans, this, my hometown, this amazing city, uh, and the amazing music we have here. Right. So it's kind of like an evolution of New Orleans music. I guess it would be one of my questions that I had as, as I was researching everything is, to take 300 years of our music scene and then compile it into two hours. That I mean, how, how did you decide 
what went in, what, you know. Well, the, well, my working style kind of drives solicitor crazy. I have a tendency <laughs> to come up with a, a concept for a film or a project. And then it just sits in my head and it percolates and it percolates and she'll walk around the house and say, would you get it out of your head? Because I can't help you unless you write it down. Right. And after about six months of her getting on my case, which for 28 years, you know, we've got it worked out. I finally said, okay. So she gave me all these different transcripts, you know, transcriptions over, you know, 20 years of interviewing musicians. And I wound up writing a 27-page outline of the film. And, and that outline actually pretty much, the film is that outline. So once I sort of started going down the track, we didn't deviate too much. The only thing that would change is that, you know, we'd get a new interview with a, with a Harry Connick or a Branford Marcellus or Whit Marcellus or whoever it was. P.J. Morton, Manny Fresh, and then there'd be something different in that interview that I wasn't expecting. Right. So then I would tweak the script a little bit. And it was, you know, a lot of work. Solista was just amazing going through the transcriptions and then she would highlight areas that she thought, okay, take a look at this. Well, one of the things, you know, everybody talks about in New Orleans, how there's a thread in the music that starts back at Congo Square and continues through today to the future. And so it's like, how do you tell that story? And so we're not telling the history story of the music of New Orleans. Really, it's talking about, and I keep saying this, how music impacted culture and culture impacted music. Mm -hmm. And if you build on that through the different eras, you can see it. We even have uh, Wash Move talking about how you can you know, the threads of bounce can be found in field hollers mm -hmm. and coming through. So that was sort of an interesting building block to use. And then we did a series of interviews back in 2015 to help raise money to create the final film. And one of the first interviews we did was with Terrence Blanchard. And literally within two seconds after the interview ended, we looked at each other and we said, this has to be our partner in this film because mm -hmm. He's knowledgeable, he's absolutely passionate, and he speaks very well. Okay. <laughs> so it's hosted by him, correct? So he's the voice that you hear on the film most of the time. Yeah, and one of the elements I just I feel is very important, and I know Celeste and I are very proud of it. Over the 30-plus years of interviewing musicians and all that stuff we've done here, the topic of race always came up. Mm -hmm. And the musicians would sort of dishonestly talk to me about the struggles and the civil rights and how music was an expression of wanting freedom and a desire for social justice. And I decided early on, I said, okay, this film is gonna have this strong thread throughout the whole thing about the power of music to change lives and sat down and talked with Terrence about it and he totally supported me and he said, okay, I get it. And I said, you know, it's, it's, it, this is going to be a different film. It's going to be an honest portrayal of our culture, a lovingly look at our musicians in our city. But I'm going to address head on the, the struggle. Right. And to me, that's one of the most important elements of the film. Is that what gave you the idea? Like, what was, what, 
initially gave you the idea to do the film? I was looking at the tricentennial. Mm -hmm. And years ago, like 15 years ago, Celeste and I tried to do a similar film to this film. And I couldn't get any funding in the US. I had interest in Japan, interest in Europe, but I couldn't, I couldn't get it done. So then when I started looking at the tricentennial, I told Celeste, I said, you know, this could be the year because of the tricentennial that we can tell this story that we tried to do years and years ago. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the first three years, everything was self-funded. I mean, we were just using retirement money to keep going and keep going. And then we finally got a you know, distributor in London to do it. But I kind of knew that this was going to be probably one of the only films that was going to not only cover the 300 years of our city, but be able to include a, a broad, deep list of musicians that had already passed. And as this year showed, we lost. So, you know, in the back of my mind, I was going, a lot of these people aren't going to be around that much longer, and I want to capture them while we right. can. Yeah. And not only the local musicians or people who are actually from here, like the Harry Connicks, but it was important for you to get a few interviews with national musicians, too. Like, what do you feel like it was important for them to contribute to the film? Well, I mean, I was really selective about that, yeah. and, and a lot of that came from the fact that when when I started doing the Jazz Fest back in the late 80s, it was always an immediate knee-jerk reaction. Oh, jazz doesn't sell, the music of New Orleans, you know, it's, it's almost like a museum piece, it's not relevant anymore, all of this. And so during those three decades, I was always asked, and I totally understood why, I was always asked to get a couple of A-list, well-known. Mm -hmm. So when we were doing this film, I knew Bonnie Raitt was going to be somebody that I wanted. Bonnie and I know each other. We've worked together. Nick, she's from, is she from New Orleans or no? Am no, I mistaken She, with she that? just loves the city. Okay. So we had an interview with Bonnie that we did back in 2000 and for okay and they knew and we had we had worked with sting a couple of times so off you know sting bonnie ray robert plant and keith richards they all really mm -hmm. respect the music of our city mm -hmm. and they they openly talk about how the music of this city influenced their music so those aren't just those aren't just people we put in the film because they're a name. Right. We put them in because there's a true, honest love of the city. Love and appreciation. Yeah. Yeah, the issue of respect was important. You know, you, you, everybody loves the music. Mm -hmm. I mean, you don't meet people who say, oh, no, I hate New Orleans music. But these people respect, you know, we had Steve Gadd, who's a world-famous drummer, and he he's played with everybody. He plays any style. When you sit him down and ask him about New Orleans drummers, he's like, I... I, I can't even begin to tell you how much I respect the people that came from there. And it, and it reinforces the fact that the culture and the music of this city has helped shape not only American music, but music all over the world. Absolutely. And that was something really important to us. And 
you know, I mean, you should probably speak to because I know music is a big initiative for you this year. And yeah, there's actually a lot of serendipity uh, this year with showing up from the streets at the festival and other programming that's going on within the surround of the New Orleans Film Festival. This year, we noticed the great work that Sync Up was doing to help musicians learn to license their music. And we thought, that's wonderful, but how do they make a bridge to music supervisors who are going to get the placement of those tracks and composer deals into film and television shows. So we have a new initiative this year wherein 65 Louisiana musicians are pitching six music supervisors against real briefs for film and television shows. So that's happening within the festival surround, as well as a couple of panels that are public that one brings together the music supervisors to talk about music supervision, how to pitch, how to build those bridges. And the other is helmed by consonant music and it talks about the collaborative process of filmmakers working with composers, how those deals and creative relationships are structured. And then there's a reception for the musicians and the filmmakers to connect. And we've actually hired a lot of the musicians in the initiative to play at the parties that happen throughout the festival and to really integrate into the festival this year. And then also you mentioned Terrence Blanchard as a, a through line in your film and as, a, as the voice. Uh, Terrence has also scored Harriet, which is our closing night selection. It's a narrative feature about Harriet Tubman. It stars Cynthia Revo. It's directed by Casey Lemons, who shot Eve's Bayou here in Louisiana. And we're going to be giving him a Career Achievement Award on closing night recognizing his great accomplishments as a, as a musician. Yeah. Isn't he Academy Award nominated? He's multi-award winning. Yeah. yeah. So that's amazing. Yeah. Ter- Terrence, I can't say enough about Terrence and Robin. I mean, they stuck with this during the whole time of making this film. Mm-hmm. And they were, you know, like any, any creator process, there can be differences of opinion between distributors and the, the creative side and, so there were times where we would go to Terrence and Robin and just always were there for us, always. And then, and then, you know, it was like another spark of energy because they would say, keep going, keep going. This mm-hmm. is going to be a really, really good film. And I just, you know, I applaud Fallon what you're doing with the music initiative. And, and yes, Terrence and, and Robin together were just really, really special. One of the things we've talked about in the studio before, as we had mentioned off the air, we had Reed Wicken here, who is um, on the Grammy nominating committee, I want to say. And it seems like what you're doing with your initiatives is kind of bridging the gap because we've always had the talent. Like New Orleans, we've never had the lack of talent, but it's the business side of things that it feels like we're lacking sometimes. You know, so the talented people don't know exactly where to go from A to B to C to get their things in front of someone or get any kind of licensing or get any kind of exposure. So that kind of speaks to the initiatives that you're doing with the film festival. Absolutely. And that's the idea. And and we're fortunate to have the support to make it happen this year from New Orleans Business Alliance, the city of New Orleans and Louisiana Entertainment have all helped us create this initiative. And Reed Wick, who runs the Memphis chapter of the Recording Academy, helped us also with some pitch training for the musicians to get them ready to pitch. Because for many of the musicians in the initiative, this is their first encounter in speaking with the music supervisor. So part of it was the education around what they need to have prepared in terms of the licensing piece, 
how the pitches will go, how to understand the mood and tone words that are in a brief for a film or television show. And I'm really, really hopeful that we'll get some placements for Louisiana musicians. But I think just participating in the pitch is its own kind of professional development opportunity. And it's also pitching is part of what we do every year at the festival. We have something we call South Pitch, wherein Southern filmmakers pitch funders to win prizes like film camera rental packages and uh, cash support of their films. And I think watching these pitches is one of the most fascinating things, whether you're a filmmaker or not, because you really get to see the film and development. You get to see the idea, the spark. You get to see the filmmaker sell it. Sometimes it's director, sometimes it's producer Mm -hmm. up there pitching. And then several years later, you get to see the finished project. So you've seen it from its inception. You get to follow the journey of that filmmaker and in doing what is a miraculous thing, which is funding and creating a film. Because right. I think every film is pretty much a miracle, right? It is. Yeah. It's kind of labor of love. Yeah. Definitely. So talk about the submissions process. Is there a board or somebody that actually, so when you have 6,500 submissions and then you narrow it down to 232, yes. guidelines that you have to? Or we do. Or they're like, um, we accept films in all genres. We accept short films, feature films, documentary films, animated films, experimental films. Um, you name it, we accept it. Uh, but we do have a strong accent on Southern voices. Yeah. Uh, what we've realized at the New Orleans Film Festival is that beyond just presenting films to the public, we are a convening opportunity, an especially important one for Southern filmmakers who may not have the access to Mm -hmm. the networks that you have if you're located in New York or LA. And so we emphasize those Southern stories for two reasons. One, because the festival is an opportunity to connect with the industry, but also our Southern audiences are really hungry for Southern stories Mm -hmm. and created by Southerners about the Southern experience. And I think that the festival is really an opportunity to see what the contemporary Southern identity is because the media tells our stories in a very particular lens. And what filmmakers do is expand that lens completely. Um, You have communities telling their own stories of social justice struggle. You have, um, you know, uh, just a wide variety of talent in the South that doesn't get its due on the national stage um, in the way that we would hope. And so I think the festival really aims to lift up those Southern voices. So about 50% of the lineup uh, are Southern films, 27% were shot here in Louisiana. And um, it's also a very diverse lineup. Over half of the films are directed by women or gender nonconforming filmmakers and over half by filmmakers of color. And so uh, I think it's really an opportunity to see uh, something that is dynamic and beyond what you might have access to through sort of mainstream Hollywood. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's phenomenal. Well, I'm holding um, in my hand the official program, right, which the cover looks like art. I mean, you could frame it. It's gorgeous. So tell us, the film festival is actually from October 16th to 23rd, and it's in different venues across the city, right? Yes. So let's talk about it's at various locations. It's at the CAC. Um, the New Orleans Advocate, the Orpheum, the Broad, and the Britannia Theaters. Yes. So, you know, New Orleans is really interesting because there aren't very many cinemas anymore. Um, if you've noted that Canal Place recently closed down, there are really only five full-time operating movie screens 
in the city of New Orleans. One is a single screen theater, the Britannia. The other four are relatively small houses at the Broad Theater in Mid-City. So an interesting thing for the film festival, a challenging thing, is that we need to build cinemas uh, to make the festival happen. So the Contemporary Arts Center becomes our festival hub and we build the Ranch Theater, which is a 300 seat theater in one side of the warehouse. We uh, retrofit the black box at the CAC to be the Tubi Theater. Uh, we bring in DCP projection, bigger screens, better seats, all of that stuff. And then at the Advocate, two blocks away, we build another 180 seat theater. So it becomes a walkable campus. Um, so if you go to other film festivals, usually there's a theater district or somewhere that mm -hmm. becomes uh, the walkable campus, but we don't have that uh, in an accessible way in New Orleans. So it's an interesting challenge. So we program at the Broad, the Britannia, the Contemporary Arts Center, the Advocate, and the Orpheum, which is normally uh, a music venue, mm -hmm. uh, but does have a wonderful DCP projector uh, and a big screen, becomes opening night and a few select special screenings like Up From The Streets. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> which is October 19th, right? How do you decide what goes where, what movies schedule. go where? Yeah. How do, how do you schedule? It's, it's, a, it's a hard calculus. Sometimes <laughs> it's about uh, how many seats a distributor is willing to give us for a film. So... Like, let's imagine that uh, we get a spotlight film. They want a word of mouth screening, but they don't want 500 people to see it. They want 200 okay. people to see it. So it could be something like that where we have to put a bigger film in a smaller theater um, because of the whim of a distributor. Uh, but mostly we try to place in the biggest venues the, the films that we want to really stand behind um, that we think are going to be really resonant with our local audiences. The majority of the films programmed at the Orpheum are local films. So Friday night we have Easy Does It, which is a comedy. It's a really fun, it's a stoner movie. It's a comedy <laughs> set in the South. It's by a, a local team working films and um, is produced by Alexa Georges, who's been a part of the film society for a long time, but uh, it's her first feature film she's produced. And I think it's going to draw a, a great crowd, and a, it's a fun comedy. But Saturday is a really a full day of Louisiana films at the Orpheum. We have Up From the Streets to start. There is a documentary called Mossville that is about one man's struggle to preserve his home in Mossville, Louisiana, as a petrochemical plant literally builds itself 360 wow. around his home, destroying his community, his health, his family's health. It's uh, a beautiful film and a really a pressing issue. Uh, and I, I'm excited to see the conversation that comes out after that film because some of the subjects are coming in for it and uh, we're gonna have, have a robust discussion after. And then Saturday night we have Burning Cane, uh, which is an interesting film. It stars Wendell Pierce. It was directed by Philip Yeomans, who was 18 when he made this film. He was wow. still in school at NOCA. So, yeah, <laughs> pretty I, exciting. I, I read that. Right? Yeah, and, and Philip actually won Tribeca Film Festival's top award this year. He was the first black filmmaker to win it. He's the youngest filmmaker to win it. And it's an extremely nuanced narrative feature, especially for such a young director. So the mayor is going to come on stage and give him an award on Saturday night. And we're really excited to kind of uh, see the city celebrate this young filmmaking talent. Okay. 
So when you show your uh, movie in the theater, obviously you said you're Oscar qualifying. So is that the highest honor that can come out of a short film or a movie that's debuted here? Like, what is the hope? Can somebody pick it up and it is be shown nationally? Like, what is everybody hoping to gain from showing at the mm-hmm. festival? It's it's different things for different artists, right? So, Oscar, obviously. Um, for... Some of these films, you know, have distribution, but the majority don't. And so it could be connecting with the distributor. For the short films, if they win a jury prize at the festival, they're automatically considered for an Oscar. So that would obviously be a boon for a filmmaker to be considered for their short, animated short, narrative short, or documentary short. But some of these films also are looking to connect with community as much as they are looking for a distribution life, Mm -hmm. Uh, especially the ones about pressing social issues. Sometimes for filmmakers, it's about reaching the right audiences and starting the right kind of dialogue. Uh, And that's what's great about a film festival is you're not watching it in a vacuum or on your couch with your, you know, with your cat uh, and no one to talk to about (laughs) about the film. But you're really connecting with the filmmakers who are there for Q&As. You're having civic discourse in the theater with people who may feel differently than you about an issue. And I think that's what's special is that the power of this media to bring people together and start those kinds of discussions. Is there a Q&A after every movie? Almost everyone. About okay. 80% of the films of the festival have a, a post-film Q&A. Yeah. So are you guys going to do one as well? Yeah. I think we got an email, I don't know, a couple of months ago from Clint. And he wanted to make sure we were aware they wanted to do like a 30-minute Q&A mm-hmm. after. So it probably will be... Um, Celissa and I, we have other people who have come in for the <clears throat> coming into New Orleans for the for the screening who were actually work with us on the film. I think Claire was going to find out how many people we should have. We should be two, should be three, mm-hmm. you know, whatever the case is. But yeah, we're, we're looking forward to that. And you guys are presenting at the Cambridge Film Festival as well, correct? Yeah, it, okay. it, it, the following uh, week. The following week. <laughs> yeah, we, we actually we actually have submitted to a number of festivals that we actually then withdrew uh, because Clint had asked me, was it possible that New Orleans would be the world premiere? And this being my hometown. As it should be, right. <laughs> yeah, you know, yes. so it was like a, it was like a no brainer. It was like, yeah, so Celeste and I, even though we, we submitted and we paid the fees, we, I think we went back and I don't know, three or four, we just, we just said we got to withdraw. Uh, wanted to keep it special here and well thank you for that yeah well you know i mean we have people flying in from all over the country i mean people that we've worked with people that you know respect the work we're doing um i mean it's it's i think i think i don't know 20 or 30 people who are friends close friends are all spending a lot of money to come in for this thing and support it. So it's going to be fun. And it's such a long project. Like you spent five years producing this film, creating this film, right? So right. over time from your 27 page write up initially, there's such a snowball effect of other musicians and people involved in the industry hearing about what you're doing and wanting to become involved. And it kind of like grows the myth of what this film is and what it can be through time. And I'm sure there's people that ended up dealing with you in the last year that you didn't even think would be involved in the beginning. Like you talked about Manny Fresh, you talked about Raj Smoove, and a lot of these people are talking about, if we're talking about the timeline of music, so much more present and future than past. And, 
you know, having everyone from people like Harry Connick or uh, Dr. John all the way up to the present, uh, people who are more in the scene right now. It's so interesting because it grows the amount of people who want to come here mm -hmm. and be a part of, you know, the debut of this film and also showcase the culture and the story that it presents. So. Yeah, yeah. And, it, you know, and again, part of it is it was very important to Celeste and I to send the message to the world that the music of New Orleans has always evolved mm -hmm. and it, it keeps evolving and it keeps evolving. And the musicians also have a great sense of history. So they know the origins of our rhythms and the origins of our music. And we wanted to make sure that people knew that we were also looking forward. And this, I mean, this city is so rich culturally. It's, yeah. it's incredible. And, and, you know, and on that note, I want to <clears throat> say something that Fallon brought up about um, Terrence and Philip. The NOCA Institute is such an incredible treasure for this city. When you just think about just the musicians in, in our film that were NOCA students, and then you talk, you talk about Philip and, you know, the young age he created his film. But NOCA is, is really helping not only with the preservation of our music, but also moving forward. And, I, I, you know, I, I can't say enough about what that school means to this city. And I'm sure you, you feel the same way. I mean, it's amazing. Oh, absolutely. And they're a great partner to us. You know, outside of the New Orleans Film Festival, the New Orleans Film Society uh, creates lab programming for Southern filmmakers. We have a mentorship program called Emerging Voices, which is a lab for directors of color living in Louisiana. And we've had amazing mentors. I mean, people like... Lisa Cortez, who produced Precious, and Effie Brown, who uh, did Dear White People, and Khalil Joseph, who directed Lemonade. You know, it's just been an incredible um, show of support from the industry for these filmmakers, and a lot of them are NOCA alums, the, the directors who are coming through this program. And NOCA also has been a great home for a spring series that we do called Seeing Music, which is documentaries about New Orleans music. So we might need to do a, a reprise of Up From the Streets <laughs> in the spring at NOCA, uh, because we, we do it there because the community, I mean, one, they have a beautiful space for it, but we want the students to get involved in the film programming. They have a great media arts department, and um, it's just a, a wonderful partnership for us. Yeah. About Noka. about Noka? Well, I think you guys have said it all. Okay. I've just enjoyed working with the people there. They've always been very gracious and opened their doors and, and said, have you thought about this person? Or you probably haven't heard about this student. And, you know, it's a conversation they have with you every time you, you know, go in and work with them. Mm -hmm. It is. Now, how many films have you guys done prior to this one? Is this your first? No, no. There's been a lot of films over the years. Most of those, quote, films have been television films, mm -hmm. television programming. So it's it's it, it's hard to remember all of them. You know, we did a whole series that we came up with called Legends of New Orleans and we spotlighted the music of Fats Domino and and Gatemouth Brown and Beausoleil and uh, Neville Brothers, the Meters. So there's a long there's a long history there of us doing um, initially 
programming from the Jazz Fest because mm -hmm. that's where I sort of started and that's where I love live performances. I wish I could play music, but I'm, you know. That's okay. You just <laughs> document people who can play music. Um, it was also a good building block for him because he, I joined him in 92, um, but he'd been doing works before that. We were having this discussion earlier with someone else about how back in those days, if you weren't from New York or Los Angeles, and I moved down here from New York, this is not my hometown, if you weren't from those two places, you couldn't get a dime, you couldn't get anyone to look at your film, look at your resume. So what he did was do building blocks of, okay, how can I do what I love, which is creating films, and also make a living. <laughs> which is right. Yeah, I mean, there was another film to that note you know, I was determined. I was determined to be able to make it here because it's my hometown. Right. I mean, I was driven. So there was a film that I thought of, and actually, it got it got nominated by the film festival, New Orleans Film Society, as best documentary that year, going way back. But it was it was a film about the life and the work of a photographer named Clarence Laughlin. Mm -hmm. And I decided, okay, that's, that's, I want to make that film about his life. Number one, my older brother is an amazing photographer and he, he's always inspired me. And my mother and father were friends with Clarence. Um, and Clarence was a very important figure in the photography circles here. So anyway, I, you know, I spent my own money, shot a bunch of stuff. My former film professor at Loyola helped me. You wrote grants. Yeah, and <laughs> we finally, I finally got a meeting with a funder. And I'm not, not going to name the funder because it's not needed. But a funder said, you know what, this is a good film. And it was only about, I don't know, 25% finished. But the funder said, you know, this, this, is, this is a good project. Mm -hmm. So we'll, we'll fund it, but we want to... We want somebody with a name to take it over because that was going to be easier for us to program it and get a bigger audience. And I was like, whoa, this is my, my, right. my project. So wait, they wanted somebody else to put their name on it? And yeah, but that happens, you know, I, that happens. So I walked away from it. I walked away. And, and the, the, the person who was trying to help me, the name person, was a very good man. He just sort of gave me a lesson in the business. And he said, you know, you're walking away, they're gonna write a check. And I said, I know, but it's my film. Yeah. And he said, it's probably gonna take you 20 years to raise the money for this film. Well, I think it took 24 years. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, uh, I mean, it took forever. And we finally, you know, we finally, and it's a, it's a good film, it, 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 it is a good film. But lesson learned, you know, maybe I should have, said okay and my career would have had a different trajectory but i didn't want to sacrifice I, that yeah i just didn't you know I, I just didn't well i mean that begs the question then do you regret that i mean if you had to do it over again would you do it differently? no 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 because no 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 i don't i don't regret it i mean i i regret a lot of lean years <laughs> you know i was trying to raise a son and yeah. uh, you know we pay rent and stuff but um, I was lucky. I was mm -hmm. lucky. My, my first big break, I guess, came when 
back in the 80s, uh, Quint Davis let me shoot, I think, five acts at the Jazz Fest. And I self-funded it from radio shows that I was doing. Self-funded the shoot. I had no money to edit it. I had no money for a t television truck. Literally, I had cameramen on the stage, and I didn't even really have money for a, you know, a communication so I worked out this plan where I would look at each camera guy and I would give him hand signals <laughs> of, what, of what I wanted, you know, wide shot, close up, right. you know, blah, 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 and did all that. So I had these tapes. And then I was pitching it to NHK in Japan. And they liked the festival, but because I didn't even have money to edit this thing, they said, here's what we want you to do. We want you to go into an edit room here in New York and we'll get the editor and you edit a showreel. And I was like, wow. And I, and I needed to do this overnight. You know, it was like I had to go into the studio. Right. like yesterday. At like 11 o'clock at night and I had to meet them the next morning at 9 o'clock in the morning. So we went in and I just had to really focus on making this showreel presented it, they took it under advisement. And this is back in the days of the old fax machines where, <laughs> right. you know, so I remember, because the time difference between here and Tokyo, but I remember like, I don't know, four in the morning, I heard the fax machine and going off and I got out of bed and I could see that it was coming from Tokyo and I was going, oh my God, this is gonna be a rejection, no. Um, and then they said, well, um, would you be able to create, I think it was six hours, would you be able to create six hours of television programming for this dollar amount? And I went, whoa. Um, yeah, you had extra zero there and that, and that, <laughs> by accident. And that's, that started it and that started it. And, uh, so it's, it's always been, I don't know, I don't want to say rolling the dice, but I've always... As Solista has, we worked together a long time. I've got a big vision, and I can sort of see where I want to go and the risk and this. And then once she knows where I want to go, she's great at putting together the pieces and and keeping me on track. Right. Um, well, can, and hearing stories like that just shows you how far the film industry has come in New Orleans mm -hmm. and with you know Hollywood South coming here and people getting more confidence and you know Katrina derailed a lot Loyola used to have communications department which disappeared for a while and then UNO came back and Loyola is back now and then the film festival is is sort of the stamp of approval what you guys have done to nurture the confidence not only the exposure but the confidence of local filmmakers is intense. None of that existed, you know, back in no, when he started. I I moved down to New Orleans in '91 um, from a background of features, and it was like you had to relearn everything. You had to, you know, how you talk to people, how you talk to people outside of the city, in the city. Mm -hmm. um, and nowadays, it feels, you know, there's this wonderful freedom and access to things that just weren't here 20 years ago. Well, it's so interesting. Like one of the main things I've been thinking about and speaking on that is like culture. Like you've already said, Michael, how much historically New Orleans music threads through not just 
music from Louisiana, but America and even globally. But now more than ever, culture is so accessible from anywhere because of the internet, because of Instagram, Facebook. Like we'll have videos of Second Line Sunday going viral globally and people are seeing stepping and things they've never seen before. But people who are from here, it's like seeing the ice cream truck drive by. (laughs) And I think that that accessibility has been great for the exposure. But what happens is so many other people not from New Orleans who don't have a genuine and true understanding of it and where it comes from and how it's grounded here can come in and take that. And when you have things like the film festival, especially spotlighting local people and stories, it really helps to nurture this like culture of true New Orleanian art and experience being brought up instead of people from LA and New York, et cetera. Um, coming in and actually like i was checking to make sure he's on here you're debuting a film by owen dunn called voodoo and i actually i run a recording studio and i uh, mix and mastered the audio for his film and like he's a very young guy um he is a got a master's in film from columbia and came back here and he is incredibly talented and seeing his excitement about his film being debuted and someone as young as him in his mid twenties, it's so amazing to see that because I know that there are people from other cities who want in. And it's so nice that this culture is being really uplifted and held down by, you know, the staples like you guys who are hosting something so important. And I think that that's a big theme that's going on is not allowing it to be completely overtaken by people coming from outside, but making sure that local people and stories get a real chance to speak and give that genuine perspective. Totally. There's a sort of academic term about that uh, that's being used in the documentary world, especially called extractive storytelling. And that's a practice that's been going on in the South for so long in New Orleans and across the American South, because like you said, people from New York and LA who can get the resources together, mm-hmm. come down and tell a story and involve their subjects, you know, to varying degrees, but not as auteurs. And how do documentary filmmakers really make a relationship with the people that they're filming and allow those stories to really be directed by by folks who are involved in collaborating on the film? So there's a lot of conversation about that at the festival this year around especially telling social justice focused stories um, how do directors create relationships and share power in the decision-making process with their subjects it's really an interesting topic i think yeah there's and to that note i want to expand a little bit of what both of y'all are saying and what Celissa said so back when i started literally you know even if i was able to place the program it was this whole mentality well, you know, if your cameraman and your lighting and your audio people, if they're not from L.A. or New York, uh, you know, I don't know if the quality is going to be any good. <laughs> and, you know, and, and I, would, I would get actually really stubborn about it. Number one, it's my hometown. And I, I, I would take offense to that. I have to admit, i got to be honest, back in those days, I didn't have a good sense of how to be political about those issues. I could be kind of a difficult person. Uh, because I, I wanted the people here in New Orleans to come on board. I did not want to have the work I was trying to do be just farmed out when I knew people here could do it. Right. And, and so to this, to this day, 
you know, the quality of the camera people, the audio people, the lighting people, production assistants, you name it, the quality of the crews here are great. And and I I know if if so let's say I wanted to do another film and I couldn't raise the money to do it. And and I I'm too, and I'm broke because we spent all our money trying to do this one. <laughs> um I know that I could make a dozen phone calls, camera people, lighting people, and every one of those people would show up and say, okay, we're here for you. And it's great. And well, and we also do a pay. Yeah. Eventually. <laughs> Which is nice. <laughs> Eventually. And I want to say something about Solista. So a friend of ours, an audio guy, introduced us. And I wasn't looking to hire anybody. I was like, oh, God, I'm going to have to sit there because I don't have the money. Okay, I'll meet the person. I'm sure she's nice, but, you know, so it was just doing it. So she comes to see me, and we're talking. And I've already got it in my mind that I'm not going to hire her because I don't have the money. But the more I was talking to her about her background, the more I became interested. It turned out that she worked on John Sayles' films. She worked for a film that I absolutely love called Make One. And she tells me that, and I go, wow, wow, okay, well, this is different. And, and the conversation then progressed to the point where I made up my mind, okay, I'm going to give it a shot. And I was 28 years ago. I'll pay you, um, but, but it was her film, her film <laughs> well, background, picked, yeah. her film background that, uh, you know, I thought it was so cool. I thought it was so cool. I thought it was so cool that she moved to New Orleans. From New York. I mean, yeah. So so everybody's saying, like, the people here need to be either in New York or L.A. to make it, and you moved from New York here. Well, I, to be honest, I moved here. I was escaping a situation in New York, personal one, and I came down here saying I wanted out of the film business. I just really? had 10 years and had some great experiences, and the sales, working with John Sales and his team was amazing, and it was was actually why I got into the film business, was to work with him. Um, and so I wasn't looking for a job. And we, we only met because of this mutual friend. Um, and he said, so I was like, I don't know whether I should work for him. So at the very end, I was told to, the only way you can tell if somebody's really a good person in New Orleans is ask him if they like to fish. So, and I barely fished. I just, I don't even know if you ever knew that. So I said, oh, by the way, do you like to fish? He's like, oh man, I love to fish. I was like, well, okay. So made one for him, fishing for me in 30 years, 28 years later. And, and the first job she did for me, we were doing a, a television special for NHK in Japan. And the Tabasco family, the McElhinney family, helped fund that particular project for me. And I was building in a little a little scene about the Avery Island. Avery Island, absolutely gorgeous. Yeah. It's just gorgeous. So we went down there. So she's we're working together. And you know when I did the, you know, I've got a I've I've got kind of a wicked sense of humor that she's finally gotten used to. But I told her, I said, look, I, I want to get a shot of an alligator. I said, <laughs> alligators really represent Louisiana. So there's a bunch of gators in that pond right there. I said, just Take your shoes off and walk over and just put your feet and then just wriggle, you know. <laughs> so that may be new to the state, but I'm not stupid. 
<laughs> anyway. Well, like, but I'd like to get back really quickly. Yeah. You, you said something that was tying into something I feel is important to with our film, which is the, the aspect of storytelling. And as a documentary uh, filmmakers, yes, we had a 27-page outline. Then we had about 10,000 pages of interview transcripts that we wow. went through. Yeah. But this isn't our story to tell. We provided a framework of a story that we felt was important to tell, but it's really the people who agreed to take part, whether it's Dr. Michael White or Harry Connick Jr. or Bramford Marsalis, Winton Marsalis, Delphio and Jason, all these people came in. Um, PJ Morton was great. Raj Smoove gave some insights that we hadn't really thought about before. Big Frida was absolutely amazing. So it really is, it's their stories that we pulled together to try and tell a larger story. And it's important for people to realize that because this is about the reflection, you know, the story of the culture of New Orleans through the lens of music, but the people telling the story are the musicians. Mm -hmm. And we're just the conduits to help put it together in a, you know, 104-minute film. <laughs> I'm really excited to see the, um, the number of culture bearers that are going to be on the red carpet for your film because there's so much history in the film and I think in the within the audience that wants to see it you know the conversation is going to be wonderful and I just look forward to seeing all of those faces in that theater who are actively shaping New Orleans culture. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. we are too. <laughs> there's, there's one note on that. So I was trying to decide you know, I had a, hit a certain point in the film where I figured the story wasn't fully told yet. And that was mainly because I did not know enough about bounce music, that whole scene in New Orleans, rap, hip-hop, the mm -hmm. evolution of that. I mean, I'm I'm 70 years old next year, and I came from R&B and blues and jazz and the rest of it. I didn't know enough about that. So I said, let's go to the Jazz Fest this year. And they were doing a big bounce tribute that year. And I was like, wow, I saw 30 to 40,000 people. Race didn't make a difference, age, young, old, all these people dancing and having a great time. Grandfathers, grandmothers, young kids. So I said, okay, we've, we've gotta, we've gotta, we've gotta build this in. And we got introductions to Manny Fresh and Raj and PJ Morton and Big Frieda. And I gotta say, it opened my eyes so much to the importance of that music and also the lineage going all the way back to the mm -hmm. brass bands and how it's, it was part of the story. And consultants who have seen the film, there's always a, there's always a couple of favorites that always stick out for them. One of them is the something we've done with Katrina. Another one is we, we talk about the importance of family in New Orleans. Right. Race, but a lot of people go, wow, that section about bounce music and Big Frieda and Roz, PJ talking about that, they learn so much mm -hmm. about it. And and that's what we sort of hope for, too, because it's like it's the story continues. Um, it's great. So does that mean there's going to be a part two? The story in, continues? In 24 years. <laughs> <laughs> I think we may let somebody else pick up the mantle and move it forward. <laughs> I mean, if I'm going to be 75 when I finish the next one, <laughs> I don't know, man. Fallon, do you get to watch all of the movies? I watch a lot of the festival after the festival because I'm running from 
venue to venue, making sure things are not on fire, uh, making introductions to films, greeting industry guests, all of that right. good stuff. But I do I do watch a lot of the the shorts leading up, like here and there. But we work really long hours. Yeah, uh, I bet. <laughs> leading up to the film festival, it's one hundred percent a labor of love. And so it's chaos now, right? And so how soon after the closing night of this year's festival will you start planning next year's festival? Pretty immediately. We open the submissions process in December for the next year. And fundraising to make the festival happen is a year-round effort. So... Uh, after that festival, that clock resets, and you got to get all that money to make it happen again. <laughs> so, 6,500 submissions this year. How many do you think it will go up by next year? And like, how many more do you have this year than last year? I think last year we it's it's gone up several hundred every year. I mean, and as particularly a sharp rise after becoming Oscar qualifying in the shorts category yeah. six years ago. So I I think we may be looking to cap it at some point mm-hmm. uh, just because it's a real lift on the programming team. But they do an amazing job. We have uh, an artistic director who watches everything and uh, his programming team. The films are, the process is rigorous. Each film is watched all the way through by three different people wow. who score it, talk about it. The, the thoughtfulness in this process is something that you don't see at every festival, but uh, the programming team really takes seriously how hard filmmakers work on this on their films and I think really wants to look at and consider each film very deeply. So I think there may be a cap in our future. I'm not sure quite when, but I do, I do think we could easily be a, a thousand more films next year wow. in growth. So it's something to think about. But we couldn't, I, I have to say, we couldn't do it without our community. We have about... 100 volunteer screeners from New Orleans who also help us watch in the early rounds and just give us feedback on Mm -hmm. what their impressions and the watchability of these films are. And I think uh, that diverse group of volunteer screeners also keeps the festival really honest about what's resonant with our local audiences, and that's important to us too. So. That's amazing. So, and if somebody wants to attend any of the screenings, how do they get tickets? They can go on NewOrleansFilmSociety.org and uh, purchase a pass, which some of the passes will get you into different parties, and we throw amazing parties. Um, And they can register for tickets or buy individual tickets to a film. Uh, But one thing that's important to us is that anyone can access this festival. So we do a lot to make sure the community can access programming. Uh, There are about 18 free screenings at the New Orleans Film Festival, thanks to some support from the Hellas Foundation. And all the virtual reality programs from Thursday to Tuesday are free. You can stop by the hub and put on a VR headset and have an incredible experience. Uh, We have a micro cinema in the CAC hub that is also free of experimental films on loop throughout the festival. So there's lots of ways to experience this, even if you don't have two dimes to rub together, Mm -hmm. uh, you can still be part of the festival. And I hope that people will also not feel like film festivals are an elitist thing for cinephiles who have to know things about film. I mean, there's really something for everyone. And uh, we welcome, you know, anyone who's never seen an independent film in their life to walk through our doors and Mm. learn about the filmmaking process and see some of these great stories artfully told. 
Yeah, that's great. Is there any new information that you can give us, like a little secret release? Yeah, secret release. We have um, Kim Cattrall is in New Orleans shooting a series called Filthy Rich, and she'll be in conversation at the CAC Festival Hub in the Tubi Theater on uh, Sunday of the New Orleans Film Festival. That's that's some entertainment (laughs) for sure. Well, this has been great. I really do want to thank you guys so much for being here and coming in and giving us an insight into what it is like to be a filmmaker, what it is like to submit it and show it at the New Orleans Film Festival. Thank you for all of the work that you're doing to showcase everyone. Yes. Uh, one thing to add. Of course, yes. And this is, a, I did a shout out to NOCA. Got to applaud what the Film Society is doing. Yes. I mean, Thank you. absolutely. I mean, <laughs> it's so important, the work that they're doing. And, and, and I know a lot of that work is volunteers and people with passion about yeah. it. And so equally important what NOCA is doing and what the Film Society is doing and the Film Festival. Can't say enough about it. So yeah. applause. And have fun. You have probably, I mean, one of the, you know, takeaways from this conversation is just how far we've come in the South as filmmakers, Hollywood South, you know, so that we are able to compete with markets like California, New York, L.A., you know, the other L.A., right? We, we're, we're getting there. And I don't, I don't want people to feel like there's not interest in the South because there is. I mean, HBO is a sponsor of the festival this year, and they sponsored specifically so that we would um, create one-on-one meetings for them with Southern filmmaking talent that we think could matriculate into opportunities with HBO. And so I, there, we are getting calls all the time, whether it's from uh, you know brands who are looking for a Southern story or a Southern voice or a talented DP who could capture a certain experience. or And we have relationships with major studios and with Tribeca Film Institute and Sundance Film Institute who are also looking to create pipelines and diverse storytelling talent from the South. And so I think we are rounding a point at which, uh, you know, some of the bigger films coming out of the South are driving a lot of this interest. Yeah. I mean, we opened last year with Green Book, which was the best picture winner that was shot in the South. And I think there is a recognition that not all of the stories that reach mainstream audiences have to be, you know, coastal stories. They could be, uh, they could could take place anywhere. And there's a, a rich, rich, storytelling history that is uh, in and of our region so yeah. Yeah, great so just to recap um the festival takes place starting october 16th through october 23rd right yes october 16th through october 23rd tickets are on sale you'll want to get tickets in advance to any of the spotlight screenings in particular those sell out fast and i think up from the streets might be on its way to selling out soon too I think it's about a little over half of the tickets have been booked for that screening, even though it holds about 800 people wow. solidly. So, Congratulations. Um, yeah, so, so grab those tickets for some of those bigger films in advance. And where can people get a program, or is there a lineup online that people can look at to see? They can look at the lineup online, and there are program guides at all of our venues, at the Contemporary Arts Center, the Britannia, the Broad. Our website is neworleansfilmsociety.org. And October 19th, 2019, at the Orpheum Theater, that is when Up From the Streets will debut, right? Yep. One o'clock. One o'clock. Yeah. Perfect. Well, again, thank you guys so much for being here. Y'all are always welcome to come back for your next movie (laughs) next year for the film festival, right? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. It was an honor having you. Yeah, thank you. This was fun. This was fun.